Hey, so as it turns out, no church is perfect. I hope you guys know that. There is no church that's got it all figured out. Every church at one point or another, if you stick around long enough, they will let you down. Even here at Connect, which I think, of course, is a wonderful church. We're going to do our best to love and serve you well and point you towards Jesus. But if you're here long enough, there will come a point in which I say or do something that upsets you. Somebody lets you down in some sort of way. Um, there is no perfect church anywhere in the world. In fact, if a church were perfect, you would not be allowed at that church because you would come in with all of your imperfections and you would mess up their perfectness. They would never let me pastor a perfect church because I am a very imperfect pastor. We say often here that Connect is a church where everyone is welcome because nobody is perfect and anything is possible. And so you don't have to feel like you need to be perfect in order to belong here. This is an imperfect gathering of people trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. But this morning, I'm going to tell you about another church that took the whole imperfect gathering of people thing to the next level, all right? I'm going to tell you about a church that might have been the most dysfunctional church that ever existed across all of geography and history, the most dysfunctional and troubled church ever. Almost all of the problems in this church were sexual in nature. Nearly everything they struggled with, nearly every issue they had, had to deal with sex and problems around sex. So let me tell you a little bit about the things this church was dealing with. They were dealing with their congregation members having Christian sex parties. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the concept of a Christian sex party, it's exactly what it sounds like. I'm trying to figure out if that would be our most popular or least popular connect group. I hope least popular. Seriously, this church had people on Sundays, and they're like, y'all coming over Friday? Yeah, they're coming up, they're coming up. And then they would get down to business. Whoa, that is completely crazy. They lived in a city where there were pagan temples, and so they would worship all of these different pagan gods. And one of the ways that they would worship these pagan gods would be to go to these temples and have sex with prostitutes that were employed at these temples. Whoa, that's crazy, right? Then there was a very well-known open secret in this church where a young man in the congregation was having sex with his stepmother. Everybody knew, but the church kind of had this, eh, who are we to judge sort of attitude and mentality. Now, I want to kind of address the question that's probably ringing in your mind. No, this church was not in Edmonton, okay? That may be what they do up there. That's not where this church was. This church was actually in the ancient city-state of Greece in a town called Corinth. And if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you actually might recognize that word Corinth because we have two books in the Bible that are called 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And so believe it or not, this church that had all of these unbelievable sexual problems going on, they actually were recorded and memorialized in the Bible. And so it's really interesting to me that the things that this church was dealing with are the exact same sorts of things that we're dealing with today. They lived, they existed on the other side of the planet, 
2,000 years ago in a culture that was very different from ours, and yet it turns out it was extremely similar, especially when it came to the subject of bodies and sex. Now, what's so cool about this is that means that the things that were written to the church in Corinth are extremely applicable to the church here in Calgary. The things that were written to them, the correctives that were given, the instruction and encouragement that was given to them in the first century, it's like it could have been written to anybody in the 21st century. And so this morning, we're actually going to dive into one of the passages in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the instruction that's given to them by God through a man named Paul. He was the church planter that started that church. He turned it over to local leaders, and he went on about his way. And after a while, he started to hear there was some pretty wacky stuff going on in the church. And so they start writing letters back and forth saying, how do we handle this? What should we do, Paul? And Paul says, hey, here's how you should approach this particular situation, okay? Now, before we get into this, before we actually read the passage, I just kind of want to orientate you to where we are. We're in the, the second week of a series that we're just calling sex. Just keep it simple and straightforward. That's what it is. We are talking about the blessings and the boundaries that God places on sex because we believe that God actually wants us to experience great sex. He genuinely does. He wants you to experience the best sex possible. And according to the scripture, the way that you do that is by understanding kind of a sexual ethic that Jesus taught and then also understanding the blessings and the boundaries that God pronounces on sex, especially between uh, married couples. So we started last week by talking about the fact that too many people in our world, including lots of people in the church, believe that sex is gross. They're just like, oh, it's unspiritual. It's naughty. You know, maybe your grandma told you not to ever look down there, not to touch anything, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, we, we said, you've got to let go of that because God created your body. He made you naked. Every part of you is wonderful and good because it was created by a God who himself is wonderful and good. And he pronounced bodies good whenever he created them. This week, we're going to kind of look at the opposite extreme. We're going to talk about the, the, the worldview, the idea, the paradigm in our world that sex is often viewed as God. It is the most important thing ever. People spend inordinate amounts of time and energy and money to get it. And the, the, the destruction that sometimes comes when people make sex their ultimate God. So let's dive in here. First Corinthians chapter number six. This is the church that's struggling with all of these very, very bad sexual problems. And so Paul, the church planter that started the congregation, he writes them letters to address the things that they're dealing with. And he quotes them. He says, essentially, in your last letter, you said to me, well, I'm allowed to do anything. But he says, not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, he says, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul says, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But he says, you cannot say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God even will raise our bodies from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Verse 15 says, don't you realize that your bodies, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never, he says. 
And don't you realize that if a man were to join himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So look at how he concludes this. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Rather, God has bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now look, these, um, th these teachings here, to the Corinthian church, if you're paying close attention, they should kind of offend you a little bit, but they should also, as you read through them, resonate a little bit. There should be a few things in there that you're like, oh yeah, I hate to admit it, but that's really true. Because the issues and attitudes that the Corinthian church are the same ones that you and I deal with today. So look at this. This was the Corinthian attitude. Paul kind of highlights it here in, in the first verse. He basically says, look, you guys are running around with the motto or the attitude, I'm allowed to do anything I want. I can do whatever I want. It's my body. I can treat it, use it, do with it whatever I want. The Corinthians had placed a priority on their personal freedom. They had kind of elevated this idea of an autonomous self. That is, I decide what's best for me. I can do what I want as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. And no one can tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Does that sound familiar? It should. We hear that either spoken verbally and directly, or we hear at least that ethos, that sort of idea and worldview. We hear it constantly. There may even be some of you that are here this morning, and as you hear me reading 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, your immediate reaction is, ain't nobody going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. You guys need to keep your morality to yourself, Christians. You can't boss us around. I get that. When it came to sex, the Corinthians actually quoted in a previous writing to Paul, they quoted an ancient saying. In verse number 13, they said, don't we all know that food was created for the stomach and the stomach was created for food? So basically their argument goes like this, Paul, my body is my own. I can do what I want with it. Nobody, including you or Jesus, should tell me how I should use it or not use it. And come on, don't be a prude. Seriously, sex... And sexual desires, those are just an appetite. It's just like the fact that I need to eat. Paul, when I get hungry, I eat. So when I get horny, I deal with it. That's how I handle it. It's the same thing. It's just a natural appetite. You shouldn't feel weird. It shouldn't feel special or separate or anything like that. We should just treat it like a physical appetite. Just like food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. This stuff is for doing that. Get over it. The problem was this wasn't a small deal in their lives or in their church. This attitude that their bodies were really only physical and that you know this was only an appetite and they were just satisfying a normal God-given appetite. The problem was it was wreaking havoc in their spiritual lives and within their church. They were pretending as though the things that they believed and the ways that they were acting had no impact on the people around them. And Paul wants to confront them and say, no, wait a sec, you guys, the things that you believe and the ways that it's causing you to act day in and day out, they're 
they're actually harming you and the people who are around you. And so these people who had essentially made uh, sex their functional God, they had begun to worship sex as the best, the biggest, the ultimate. They spent their money, their time pursuing it and trying to keep it. Paul basically writes to them in this passage we read, and he says, you've got two very flawed assumptions. There are two things that you believe about sex that are wrong, and they're driving everything you say and do. And if you could understand what God really intended for your body, how God really intended your marriage, uh, whether it's now or in the future, if you could really understand what God had in store for you, then you would leave behind these flawed assumptions, and you would live out a more biblical worldview. So here are the two flawed assumptions that the Corinthian church was making in the first century, and they are the exact same flawed assumptions that you and I have to deal with every single day. The first one is the idea that sex only impacts the physical. That it's just a physical act. It's not different than eating or exercising or anything like that. It only impacts the physical. The second flawed assumption that they had and certainly our culture today has is the idea that sex only impacts the present. That I can do what I want with my body and then move on as if nothing happened. And what I choose to do today, as maybe in my teen years or my early 20s or into 30s and 40s, what I choose to do today will not impact tomorrow. Those two flawed assumptions drive every sexual issue in their world, and it drives every sexual issue in your world as well. Every issue, every problem, every hurt, every regret, all of it can be traced back to believing one of these two things. Now, before we actually talk about these particular assumptions and why they're so wrong and how they kind of harm us on a regular basis... I want to point out something that might be kind of interesting to you, and it's going to set the stage for next week just a little bit. As you read through 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, you may have noticed that Paul uses the phrase sexual sin or sexual immorality quite a bit, right? And when he's talking about sexual sin and when he uses the phrase sexual immorality, in the Greek, he actually uses a word called pornea. And if you're paying close attention... It might strike you that that word looks a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Because pornea, the Greek word, is actually the root word from which we get pornography. It's the same thing. Although Paul is, is certainly going to talk about pornography in this particular instance, and by the way, they definitely had porn in Paul's day. They didn't have digital porn, but they had plenty of other versions. He's going to talk about porn, but you need to understand that this word pornography, it encompasses a whole lot more than just porn. This idea of sexual immorality, of pornea, it includes stuff like adultery. It includes stuff like lust in your heart. It includes stuff like hookup culture. It includes all these different things that eventually are illegitimate, unhelpful, unhealthy, selfish views and actions when it comes to sexuality. Now, we're going to unpack this term pornea a little bit more next week when we talk about servant and selfish lovers, because that's really the difference between the two. Um, we'll, we'll unpack it a little bit more, but I just want that rolling around in the back of your mind as we talk through some of this stuff this morning. All right, first flawed assumption that Paul is dealing with with the Corinthian church, but let's be honest, we need to hear this too. Sex only impacts the physical. This is a flawed assumption. 
We hear all the time. If you are in school, you hear from people in your school all the time. You hear it from the media. You hear all the time, look, I can do whatever I want with my body and then move on. I can have sex and it's not going to bother me. It's just something I do. It's not that big of a deal. Sex is like another form of exercise or recreation. As long as both people agree, there's no harm. All right. Paul actually confronts this assumption because it highlights something we talked about last week. That is a split that's present in our minds between our soul and our body. And when I say soul, I do mean the soul, the spiritual part of us, but I also mean like the the mind, the emotion, the will part of us as well. And there is a split that we seem to carry around with us. We seem to think there is the physical me, but then there's also the real me, you know, the part of me that makes decisions and has wants and desires. It's like, that's the real part of me. I happen to have a body and the body exists to help the real me, the, my will, my emotion, my soul. It exists to help me get what I want. The, the psychologists and philosophers in our world, they call this the ghost in the machine idea. The thought or the worldview that there is a soul inside of you, and that's the real you, but the body part, eh, it doesn't matter so much. The body part is only going to be around for 70 or 80 years, then it's going to go back to the dust, and yet we believe somehow we will still continue on, right? As souls floating around in heaven, or we're reincarnated according to some belief systems, all those different things. The idea is that our mind or our soul is what's really important, and the body is just kind of ancillary to all of that. We value our mind and our soul way more than we do our bodies. We tend to act as though what we do with our mind is what matters and what we do with our body doesn't. That we can do whatever we want with the body and it will not impact our mind. And so this plays out when we say sex is only physical. That when I have sex, because sex according to the, the, the belief system that the Corinthians had, sex according to the belief system that you hear all the time in our world, sex is just a physical act. And so you can do a physical act without it impacting any other part of you. Of course, as we talked about last week, the Bible doesn't present us as a soul and a body. We are a soul body. We are one. We are a unified, integrated whole. And so we run into very troubling waters when we start to act as though we can separate those two things. And what we do to one aspect of our nature does not impact or affect the other aspect aspect of our nature. So Paul actually confronts this idea by quoting Genesis chapter number two, the same passage that we read last week. And he gives them a a theological argument for why sex is not just biblical, or I'm sorry, why sex is not just physical. He gives them a biblical argument. And he says, don't you know that the scriptures say the two will be united as one? That when you have sex with somebody, that it's not just physical. God has actually designed it so that you bond with that person. It is not just something you can do and walk away from, that it actually has a way of bonding you and uniting you at the deepest levels of who you are. Paul essentially says, you can't have sex with somebody as casually as you would shake their hand. And Sex is not just a way to satisfy some physical appetite that you have, or at least that's not 
all that it is. Christians have believed for thousands of years that when two people have sex, they become united in some deep, physical, emotional, even metaphysical way that can't be easily ignored. Sex was designed by God to bond you with somebody. And so when we have sex with somebody, yes, it's physical, but it's also emotional and spiritual as well. Now, I don't want you to believe that just because the Bible says it. Some of you guys are skeptical. You don't really accept the Bible at face value. That's totally cool. Let me give you another reason to believe that what the scripture says here is true, that when you have sex with somebody, you're bonded with them. The more we learn about our biology and our neurology, the more we dig into science, you know what we find out? We find out that Genesis 2 was correct, that when we have sex with somebody, We are bonded. We are united with them as one. Scientists have discovered in every single person, including you and me, there are two hormones. One of them is called oxytocin. One of them is called vasopressin. Both of these hormones are present in your body, okay? We both have them. Both genders have them. Old people, young people, we all have them. And what they've discovered is that these two hormones or molecules are actually responsible for bonding you with somebody else. And wouldn't you know it, the point at which they are released and have their highest impact on your physiology is the moment you have sex with somebody. Isn't that interesting? Oxytocin, which is mostly present in women, or it's present in higher amounts in women, it's often um, released during breastfeeding, during intimacy, during cuddling. It's called the attachment hormone. Because when you're holding something that's so cute, or a man that you just love so much, your brain produces this hormone, and you're imprinted. You're bonded on them, whether you realize it or not, whether you wish it were true or not. In men, it's this other one called vasopressin. It's the exact same thing. It's the feeling that makes you protective over somebody you love, whether it's your wife or your kids. You're like, oh, I just, I want to care for them. I want to protect them. It comes from these two molecules. What does that mean? It means that it is impossible. It is biologically impossible for you and I to sleep with somebody and not get attached to them. It's impossible. Ignore the Bible. Write that out for a second. It is biologically impossible for you to have sex with somebody and not to bond with them on some level. There's a a professor at Duke University, and she had this great line, man. I love it. It's like one of those things, as soon as I read it, I just remembered it because I think it's that good. She kind of reworks 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. She kind of rephrases what Paul said, and she says, don't you know that every time you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? That's good, man. Every time you sleep with somebody, you are creating a connection, a bonding with them. And you can say, oh, that's just chemical. Oh, those are only hormones. And you can break those. And I've had plenty of sex and I didn't feel particularly attached. I'm telling you guys, your brain is attached whether you realize it or understand it or not. I'm just giving you the science on this. Turns out what the scripture says is true. Not only does sex impact the physical, and we know that from scripture, we know it from science, but guys, we also know this from experience, don't we? Don't you, I mean, like just your own personal experience tells you that sex is more than physical. It is more than just one body part touching another body part. 
I mean, isn't that why breakups are harder when we've been sexually involved with somebody? Like, let's be honest, good sex can cover a bad relationship for a while. You can be in a relationship and you can know, eh, this is probably not going anywhere long term, but we're having fun, we enjoy sleeping together, so we'll just keep at it for a little while longer. Why? Because you've already bonded and you don't even realize it. It's true. We know from our experience that sex is more than physical. We talk about moving to the next level in our relationship when it becomes sexual, don't we? Why? Because we know intuitively that sex takes us deeper. There is something that happens the moment we become intimate with somebody else. And we could even look at something as horrific and terrible as sexual assault. And we can let that inform us that deep down inside, we don't believe sex is just physical. There's a reason that our society prosecutes sex crimes more strongly than simple physical violence, because we know there is something deeper that happens when sexuality is involved. We've got to understand that sex is more than just physical. Here's what happens. When we choose to ignore that, when we choose to buy into this idea that I can go do whatever I want, I can sleep with anybody I want, and it won't have any lasting consequences, it won't impact any other part of me than the part of me that touches him or her, when we buy into that, you know what has to happen? We have to break the body-soul unity that God gave us so that our actions don't impact our mind or our will or our soul. We have to start putting up walls. So that you can hook up on the weekends, you have to build defenses so that you can do it and then walk away. Because you were not created to do that. Your body is not really capable of doing it naturally. And so you have to invent ways to make it happen. Then at some point in the future, you decide you want to be intimate and loving and in a committed marriage with somebody. You've spent years and years and years and years and years avoiding intimacy, and you expect once you get married that suddenly you're just going to be like, oh, let's tear down the bricks here, you know, come on in. That's not how it works. We've built up these walls. We've fragmented the thing that God created to be united and coherent together, and then when we struggle, we wonder, what's going on? I don't see what the problem is. Sex is more than physical. Until you can kind of reintegrate that into your mind, until you can say, all right, this isn't just physical. It impacts me on a deeper level, and it plays out in other areas of my life. You will never be able to experience the oneness that the book of Genesis or the book of 1 Corinthians talks about. I mean, goodness, how can two people ever expect to be one if you don't even see yourself as a one, as a unified whole. If you don't understand that about yourself yet, then you're going to have tons of trouble when two of you guys who are fragmented and built up walls so that you could go enjoy all the fun you wanted in your earlier years, you're going to have so much trouble coming together and experiencing genuine intimacy because you bought into the false assumption that sex is only physical. The second one that Paul mentions here is that sex only impacts the present. And, and we hear this all the time, right? You know this, you probably thought this at some point in your life, that what I do today won't impact what I experience tomorrow. 
that I can do anything today and it's not going to matter. I can walk away and it won't have consequences later on. This might be the biggest lie that we even experience. I mean, we hear this when somebody says something along the lines of, you know, like one day I'm going to settle down, but I'm young right now and I don't want to miss out on any experiences. So I'm going to go sow my wild oats while I can. I always thought that was a weird expression. I don't totally know where it came from, but you know, that's what we do. It's my early 20s. I'm supposed to experiment, right? I'm supposed to go have fun. That's how it goes. But in truth, we're buying into the assumption, the false assumption that sex only impacts the present. We, we see this play out when maybe a, a spouse says, look, my spouse doesn't want sex as much as I do. And so for us, porn is just like a natural outlet for my urges. It respects him or her and lets me get my needs met. And we act as though that will not play out and have any consequences in the days to come in our marriage. It happens when somebody says, you know, I can sleep with my coworker, and as long as my wife doesn't find out, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. We act as though sex only impacts the immediate, the present, the here and now. Our culture tells us constantly that our minds are disconnected from our bodies and that our todays are disconnected from our tomorrows. We know that's not true but we act as though it is. So Paul confronts this in verse number 12, and he says to the Corinthians, look, you can do whatever you want. You guys told me, Paul, I'm free to do anything with my body. That's true, you can do that. But he says, you don't want to become a slave to anything. And that word slave is a harsh word, isn't it? Like you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a slave, I'm free. But Paul uses that word for a very specific reason. You see, according to the scripture, Sex is so powerful, it has the capacity to turn any of us into slaves, that we will sacrifice our freedom for it, that we will spend all of our resources to obtain it. We'll compromise our tomorrows in the hopes that we can get lucky. And Paul says, you've got to connect the dots here, you guys. You've got to come to understand you can't do what you want today and then be surprised when it has consequences tomorrow. If you're sitting here and again, you come from a skeptical perspective and you're saying, Dan, that's silly. I'm free. I'm free because I can do whatever I want with my body. The only people who are not free are all the sexually repressed prudes in the room who need you to tell them what to do with their bodies. If that's where you're coming from, can I just challenge you on that for a moment? Can I ask, really, are we free? Are we really free because we can? Like, why is it that some of you have to stream porn every single time your family leaves the house? Why is it some of you have to sleep with every boyfriend you have? It's like, it just, it'll happen eventually. Why is it that you have? to do that? Why is it that you have to objectify every single woman you see walking down the street? Why is it your first thought, thumbs up would do, thumbs down would not do? Because you're a slave. You're a slave and I'm a slave. We've bought into the idea that physical doesn't really matter that we can do whatever we want today and it won't impact tomorrow. And yet what ends up happening is we get into these cycles and habits. It becomes bondage. It becomes baggage. It becomes addictions. We become slaves to the God 
of sex. Why is it that every guy on Tinder has to turn the messages sexual within three DMs, you know? He's like, hey, I really like your name. And you're like, thanks. And he's like, you up? (laughs) Why? Because he's a slave. And because you're a slave. We bought into these false assumptions. And we live our lives as if, you know, none of it impacts the other aspects of who we are. And that's totally wrong. It's totally false. Sex is not just physical. And sex does not only impact tomorrow, or today rather, it impacts every aspect of our life, and it impacts every win in our life, both the, the present and the future. Now, again, for as long as you choose to believe these assumptions, you're going to struggle. You're going to deal with baggage. You're going to deal with habits. You're going to deal with sins. You're going to have a lack of intimacy. All of that is going to be true until you fight those two assumptions in your life. This is true whether you're single. It's true whether you're married. This is true whether you're grade seven or whether you're 70. This is true. And we have to fight against these false ideas if we want to experience the biblical oneness that God has for us. How is it that sex becomes slavery so quickly? How is it that we fall into these habits and traps and problems and regrets so easily? It goes actually back to what the Corinthians said at the first part of the message. Remember we read and they essentially said, look, sex is just a physical appetite. It's something you you have an appetite, you satisfy it. But let me ask you a question. What happens when you feed an appetite? What happens when you feed an appetite? it grows. Have you ever thought about that? If you're hungry and you eat a giant meal, you'll be satisfied for a few hours, but eventually you're going to want to satisfy that appetite again. And next time you're going to be hungrier than you were before. This is how people, you know, grow to be three, four, 500 pounds because over time they continue to feed their appetites. Their appetites grew and took over. They had to continue to consume more and more and more in order to be satisfied. And I think you guys can make the connection between sexuality as well. That the more you consume it, the more you pursue it, the more you glorify it in your life, the more you are going to struggle to rein that thing in because sex is an appetite. It's more than an appetite, but it is an appetite and appetites grow when you feed them. Let me give you an example of this. And I struggled, I really did. I went back and forth on whether I should even bring this up, but you know what, we're gonna go ahead and do it. Did you know that the number one viewer of online pornography are teenage boys between 12 and 17? The number one person most likely to stream online porn are your sons. And your sons are looking at this today and they're thinking, well, it's not gonna impact my tomorrow. And it's just physical. It's not hurting anything, right? It's just me. I'm not hurting anybody else. So what's the problem? What's the harm? What we learn, we're in the middle of like this massive experiment in our culture where we're trying to see what happens if we give people unfettered access to sex. What happens if it's just available at any moment and at any time you can go find whatever it is, however crazy it might be, you can go find it for free. We're in the middle of this experiment. And you know what we're learning? It was a real bad idea. It was a really bad idea because scientists are telling us that sexual addiction is a lot like drugs. It's a lot like heroin, 
that you start off with a little bit and it's pleasurable and it's exciting and it's nice, but eventually you don't enjoy it the way that you did originally. And so you have to watch more and more and more. So your son who just looked at it once a week for a while, now he's looking at it every single day. The average age of first exposure to pornography is 11 years old, 11. And he's starting at 11, basically watching it every day all the way through the time he's, let's say 21, and then he decides he wants to get married. For years and years and years, he's been training his body that one woman is not enough because at any moment he can go find other women that will excite him. He's training his mind that one type of body is not enough because at any moment he can go find any type of woman it might be that he wants. He's in this crazy cycle of diminishing returns in which he's viewing more and more hardcore porn. There was a study that was done and 80% of pornography they found had violence towards women in it. And so he's viewing this for 10 years. And then at 21, he finds the love of his life. They're gonna get married and it's gonna be magic and romance. And yet he's brought in all the baggage from yesterday to today. And then it continues to impact the tomorrows in their marriage as well. Some of you guys are smack dab in the middle of that situation right now. You know how I know? Because I get the calls and the emails all the time where guys say, look, I started this habit when I was young and bam, it's just taken over and now it's impacting my marriage. Women too, of course. But this idea that we can do anything today and it won't play out tomorrow is killing us. It's killing our souls. It's killing our families. We have to understand that sex is more than physical and that sex impacts more than the present. All pornea, not just pornography, but all pornea will eventually lead you down the same path. So what do you do if that's where you are? If you're struggling, if you're like, man, I, this is me. You've, you've been reading my mail, apparently. You have some sort of tracker on my computer. You know what's up. You've been sitting around our dinner tables. We've been fighting through these things week after week after week. What do you do if that's where you are? Let me encourage you to do what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number six. You need to run from sexual sin. I know that sounds extreme. His wording here, it means like, run for your life, run away, flee, get out of there as quick as you possibly can when you are tempted by sexual deeds, sexual sin, get away from it. He basically says, don't play around with pornea. Don't play with it. It is too dangerous. Yes, it's pleasurable today, but tomorrow it will cost you. If you aren't able to break that cycle, if you continue to sleep around, if you continue to lust after every woman or man that you see, it will have consequences. And so Paul says, just run away from it. Get away, get over it. Stop focusing on that, right? That might mean that you have to give up some freedoms, but that's okay. If in the long run, you're happier because of it. If you can say no today so that you can be happier to say yes to somebody tomorrow, then you've won. You have made a good trade. I want you to consider, just consider that maybe God isn't trying to ruin your pleasure. He's trying to guarantee it. When it comes to sex, God is not trying to ruin your fun. He's not trying to kill your sex life today. He is trying to guarantee that you can have a wonderful sex life in the days to come. So I just run away. Like seriously, seriously, 
If you need to get rid of your computer, get rid of it. Put it somewhere where it's public. You need to give all of your passwords to your wife. Let her be free access to your phone, to your computer, whatever. If, you, uh, you know, if you're like, ah, I'm tempted, there's this coworker, man, we've been flirting and we've been getting closer to the line, run away, transfer to a new department, go find another job. Your family is worth it. Your mind is worth it. Your future is worth it. Run away if that's what it takes for you to avoid the trap that so many people in our world fall into. And the last thing, I would just encourage you to turn to God. You see, there is no sin that we can commit that God is not willing and able to forgive. In the church, we have this tendency to act like sexual sin is the worst of all sin. It's really not. It's sin just like anything else. And the truth is, God wants to forgive every single mistake you've made in your life, whether it's sexual or financial or spiritual or relational, doesn't matter. God says that he will forgive it. First John chapter number one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive all of our mistakes. If you were to confess to God and say, God, I've been just struggling and cycling through the same habits, the same addictions. I've had the same baggage week in, week out. I'm tired of it. I want to overcome it. It starts with confession and it ends with accountability. Those are the two things you need. You need to confess it and then you need some sort of accountability. We can help you with the accountability part, but we can't help you until you're ready to admit it, until you're ready to own up to your mistakes, until you're ready to give your heart to Jesus. I wanna pray for you and I'm gonna, free, I'm gonna pray that you will be free from pornea. Again, that's not just pornography. It's like all of these selfish and illegitimate sexual activities. I'm gonna pray that you would be free from it so that you can experience the wonderful oneness that God promises, the blessings that he pours out on sexuality when it's used in the way that he always intended.